We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. Money Sense, live with Larry Rosenthal. Larry is recognized as one of the nation's leading financial and retirement planners and is here to answer your questions right now. Author, speaker, and talk show host Larry Rosenthal is dedicated to teaching others financial stewardship from a biblical point of view. Call Larry now. Studio lines are open at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Making Money Sense is on the air. It is time for another edition of the Larry Rosenthal Show. And here he is, our financial and retirement expert in studio, Larry Rosenthal himself. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Chris. And how's it going today for you? Well, we were all just sitting around here a minute ago trying to figure out what Mother's Day songs we have. I, I don't know that there are such a thing. Maybe if there is, we know that Bob would know it, and he could come in and sing it for us. Oh, I'm sure you're going to start a conversation there. I'm sure there's a Mother's Day song somewhere out uh, there. Oh, I'm so sure. Let's just let's just... Get it correct. I was promoting maybe we should have one, and you were going, no, yeah. there's none out there. How's no, that sound? No, no. <laughs> I don't know of any. Let's put it that yes. way. Well, happy Mother's Day weekend to everyone out there, to all the moms, expected moms, everyone. So, uh, you know, what a role moms play in our lives. So uh, if you're listening, Mom, happy Mother's Day. Love mm-hmm. you, and I'll see you later today and uh, tomorrow. So anyway, all is good. Outstanding. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Um. So, welcome everyone. Welcome to Making Money Sense, Larry Rosenthal Show. You know, we start the week off each each Saturday morning with uh, you know what's going on in the markets, the economy. It's kind of a quiet week this week in in the market as well as the economy. Not a lot of news, a little bit of news, but but mm-hmm. nothing to you know quote unquote really write home about. Uh, U.S. retail sales expanded pretty well faster faster uh in in april than the prior months uh but you know nothing nothing to uh get all caught up about and everything so biggest thing that that really hit the news uh news wires this this past week regarding the markets was as of uh may 11th just the other day 457 of the s&p 500 companies uh, have reported earnings which is good and they're expected to increase about 14.7% over the first quarter a year ago. Now, stripping out energy, the growth is going to look to be about 10%. So revenues are, are, are up, which is very good. So what does that mean for the marketplace? Well, the P.E. came down a little bit. So the P.E. ratio, you know, the price-to-earnings ratio, is sitting at about 17.8 over the next 12 months, <clears throat> well, forward-looking. Bottom line, all that Wall Street gibberish there, Chris. People buy stock based off of a future earnings of a corporation. Very, very simple. Company A says things are going well. Company B says things aren't. Which stock do you want to buy? 
company A, right? Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, is company A worth the price we're paying for it? And that's where the P-E ratio comes in is the price to earnings ratio. What are we willing to pay for a dollar's worth of revenue? And right now we're willing to pay $17.8 for a dollar's worth of revenue because, you know, so, so the market traditionally has about the last 20 years average about a 20 per, uh, a 20 on the uh, 12 month forward looking PE ratio so this is just slightly overvalued but nothing to get concerned about is that really the bottom line uh, rule of thumb when coming to buying when buying stocks is to look at that PE well it's one of the several things that you want to look at is 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 the market overvalued right now to to purchase so you take a look at it and you go, well, it's slightly higher than the tw- than a twenty year average. Okay, I get that and understand it. But but what is the market? The market is a leading economic indicator. So you have three different types of indicators. You have a, a lagging economic indicator, a coincident economic indicator, and a leading economic indicator. So a leading economic indicator when it's up like that, is going to say, hey, you know what? It looks like the economy is still expanding and the market has opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. Hence, why would it not be up a little bit higher, right? Right. So as long as it's not too high, so then the next thing you want to take a look at is the RSI, the Relative Strength Index. And it has a range from on, on its scale from 30 to 70, just sort of break this down a little bit, from 30 to 70, meaning that 70, the market's overbought. So if you have a P.E. ratio that's floating around 18, 19, and the, and the RSI indicators are, you know, 65, 70, 73, somewhere like that, then the market's definitely overbought too high. But right now, the RSI indicator is sitting in the mid-40s. So, so we're, we're looking at a higher P.E. ratio, which is a forward-looking indicator, but the relative strength is right in the middle of the zone. So you put those two together, and it comes back down to say, you know what, maybe this market's not overpriced. Still, at the end of the day, we have to understand that when the market does reach highs and it's flirting with some new highs again, from time to time it will have a pullback, a few percentage points or whatever it may be, but that's okay. So so the question begs itself is how do people invest new money that's coming into the market now? And the best way to do that is dollar cost averaging. You know, if you're going to be putting uh, new dollars into the market now, rather than making a lump sum, you might want to consider, you know, maybe putting it in over a, a, a 12-month period of time, maybe one-twelfth each month, just sort of bleed it in or ease it into the marketplace there. So, so that you're getting some of the buys and the ups and downs while the market is treading at these new high marks. You know, the market's looking to find some new excuses to continue to grow. We've got a uh, very good uh, earnings uh, season right now. The Fed seems to be pretty cooperative. I think that they're going to raise two more times this year in, in slow little increments. And, and now we're waiting to see fiscal policy, some of the tax and spend policies that are coming out of the uh, new administration and what they're going to be doing. So all in all, quiet week on Wall Street, um, and we'll see what brings next week then. So kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Can we take a look at it? You know, I tell you, when it comes to investing and, and saving and things of that nature, as you get older and you get closer to that time frame, things get a little bit scarier, don't they? <laughs> it's like, what are we going to do next? What are we, how are we going to get there? Well, they do, you know, and, and I was explaining that to, to, to a, a uh, prospective client this week. They're going to come back in and take a look. And, and um, you know, he, he, he came in 
to the office, and, and he said, you know, I'm working with the current advisor right now, but it just things just, you know, I just have some questions. You know, what are we doing the right things? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we were we were looking at his at his information, and and we started talking about the difference in the three phases of financial planning. And this goes to your question, Chris, and 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 this is where people kind of mess themselves up. There, there's three phases in financial planning. There's the accumulation phase, the distribution phase, and the legacy phase. Let's talk a little bit about the middle one, the distribution phase. This is when you're very close or already in retirement and you're distributing your assets back to you. You're pulling money out each month to supplement your retirement needs and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. So the question is this. The investments that got you to this point, they were all growth-oriented investments. Now your investments have to sort of change their, their colors a little bit. They sort of have to be growth and income-oriented. Because we still need growth in our retirement years to outpace taxes and inflation. That's moving buckets around a little bit here, isn't it? You've got exactly to- correct. But yet at the same time, we need, the, we need the investments to deliver streams of income. The problem with most growth type of investments is that when you pull money out of them, you're actually selling shares because they don't pay a large dividend. When you have a dividend for an income type producing portfolio, it gives you less growth, but when you receive income from it, you're not necessarily selling shares. Therefore, you're able to sort of, you know, keep the ownership of your shares or your principal of the investments there. So, so you know, they, they go up and down, but there's a different strategy once you introduce withdrawals into your retirement portfolio. It's a whole different strategy, and you really have to, as you were talking about earlier here, Chris, reduce the risk level inside of that 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 portfolio at that particular time. You have to have some fairly substantial um, uh, numbers in the share department in order to see those dividends really pay off, though, in income, don't you? Well, you do. So, so you know, y- you there are stocks out there that have high dividend paying, you know, uh, um, yields and and ones that have low. And so you take a look at the S&P 500 as a barometer right now, which has a dividend yield of about 2.3%. So, you know, if you're buying a stock that may be yielding, let's say, 3.5%, then you know that that stock is paying out more than the average stock in the, in the S&P 500. Now, there are some sectors of the marketplace, energy, real estate, that, are, that, that have yield 7, 8, 10, wow. 11%. Yeah. Okay. And, and But you have to understand the different types of economics that go behind these types of stocks and, and what would have to take place in the marketplace for those stocks to become volatile or, 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 or go down in value. So everything has, a, has you know, sort of a yin and yang pro and con to it. You have to understand when you put something in to a, to a particular investment, what are the pros that make it flourish? What are the cons that make it you know, not do so well for yourself? So – you can you can blend across the yield spectrum all these different types of positions and maybe end up with a little bit higher yield, one that might be able to kick you out four or five percent. So, uh, you know, you, you just have to sit down and really build it out and construct it. And trading desk can help you with this, and, and and all different types of things. And you can implement, you know, bonds and fixed income as well. So. It's a, a pr- pretty good strategy. So, hey, let's go ahead and take a break here. Give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Give us a call here with any of your financial planning or investment questions. You're listening to Larry Rosenthal Show, Making Money Sense, on this Mother's Day weekend.
You are listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Have you ever wanted to be part of something big? Nonprofit organization called Stars Children Africa. Do you want to be a part of something that changes a child's life? Orphans who are high school age who would not have a chance to get education otherwise. Now you can be part of something that brings hope. What we do is we actually pay for the school fees. For about the cost of a new suit, you can change an orphan's future for a whole year. We pay for the school fees, and that averages around $500 to $550 a year total. That means food, lodging, the teaching, the education part, the the uniform, that whole thing. Call now, 703-201-2494, or go to starschildrenafrica.org. For a dollar and a half a day, one child would be educated for that year in high school. 703-201-2494. Call right now. For $500 a year, you can change an orphan's life. 703-201-2494. You are listening to The Larry Rosenthal Show. If you'd like to dial in to talk to our financial planner in studio, you can do so right now at this phone number, 855-767-3123. It's 855-ROSE-123. Dial that telephone number at any time with any financial question that you have. You have that number available during the week. And I know, Larry, you don't charge for those questions or things that uh, people may come to mind when they're looking to try to do some things with their finances. No, we have people call in the office or emailing me. They go to my website, LarryRosenthal.com, and shoot us off an email, and we'd be happy to answer any questions or send out packets of information. You know, we send out the financial planning toolkit. We've sent out thousands of these over the years, Chris, and and um, and given them out, and, and they really help people sort of build their financial plan. Yeah, you can extend it through the week, and I know you've got a really cool thing on the website, too, for folks who really just want to get started with the financial plan. Yep, they can visit the website again, LarryRosenthal.com, and there's a video right there of, of how the uh, financial plan actually works and functions and, and all that stuff. So, yeah. Cool. Very cool. Absolutely, absolutely. So, hey, some new numbers are out on the uh, markets this year. I'm not going to get into the returns. Markets are doing well, but uh, through the other day, the market, meaning the S&P 500, had 55 um, up Days versus 45 down days, um, uh, or, or percentages, I should say. Uh, so, you know, people think, well, the market's up, so just the picture in their mind, well, it goes up every day, right? No, it doesn't. It goes up and down. So we've just had more higher up days than we've had lower low days, pretty much. So it's kind of interesting to always see the splits between up and down days so far and uh, uh, just so, sort of some things that we watch in the marketplace. In addition to that, we also have Fed, the Fed, some Fed news. Mm-hmm. You know, the, again, the Fed had a, had a meeting last week and or, or and and uh, they decided they weren't going to change interest rates, which is good. There's five more meetings. That's the big announcement here. There's five more meetings of the Federal Reserve yet to go this year. They were projecting in January this year that they have three rate in, rate hikes. They've only done one thus far. Personally, all I think all eyes are on June, right? Yeah, exactly. I think they're going to do two more, but maybe we'll see. 
uh, if, if if they do another one. So some more news is out, Department of Commerce, and uh, this is good news. So so like yay, good news. very good news, right? We like good news, right? When it, when it comes to markets and financial planning and things like that. But the personal savings rate in the U.S. as of the end of March this year, 2017, was 5.9%. Is that a lot? Well, it is compared to where it used to be, somewhere down around 2 or something. Yes, like. back in July of 05, the savings rate was 1.9%. That was a record low in the country. So we've expanded our savings rate almost three times. It's very, very good, right? So that that by itself is 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 uh, good news. Yeah, I'm running out of room in the backyard to dig up another place to put a piggy bank. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Chris. You got to dig down further, right? That's right. Yeah, is yeah. that the story? That's right. Got to stack, That's it, stack it a little deeper. Yep. So hey, you know, but while we're saving money, don't forget about uh, the Lord as well. It's His dollars, right? That's right. And um, you know, we need to make sure that we're tithing. Doing additional gifts and offerings, you know, in Malachi three ten it says, "Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that the may, so that there may be food in my house, and test me uh, now in this," says the Lord of Hosts, "if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until overflowing." Yeah, there's very few places within the scriptures where the Lord says, "Test me or prove me," and that's one of them. So that's, yes, yes. Yeah. So remember, it's the Lord's. He owns a, a sheep on a thousand hills, right? Amen. So you know, just keep 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 all that in mind, and, and make sure that we use our our tools, whether it's it's uh, you know teaching or whatever talents we have to further His kingdom. So with with people and the Great Commission, telling people about Jesus, right, Chris? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So very good, very good. Hey, give us a ring here eight five five Rose one two three. That's eight five five seven six seven three one two three. So where are we going to put all this money with our savings rates, Chris? We've got a savings rate now at 5.9%, sort of pushing up towards the highs in America. Where are we going to save money? What products? What's the best place to, to put it in? Well, you want the one with the best return. or you want to The try one it. with the best return, right. What about taxes? Do we want to have to pay taxes on no, it? No, no, no. we want it to be no, tax-free? got to be tax-free. Yeah, and do we want risk or no risk? Do we want guarantees? No risk. No risk. Guarantees. So we want a high return. We want guarantees. We want tax-free, right? We're now, not picky. Do we want our money to be tied up, or do we want it to be liquid whenever we want? I need to get want? to my money. I need to you, we need liquidity, right? So we're, we're talking about the perfect investment here, right? Tax-free, guaranteed, high rate of return, liquid. Guess where we can get that investment? Uh, probably uh, nowhere. <laughs> That's exactly correct. It doesn't exist, <laughs> right? There's always pros and cons to them. thought so. you had a secret going on. You thought I had a secret, right. That's exactly right. But, you know, right now about 94 million Americans or 43% of households own mutual funds. This is through the end of 2016. That's a pretty good number, Okay. So let's talk a little bit about mutual funds today, the pros and cons to them. What's the appeal of a mutual fund? Well, one of the appeals is that you, for a dollar, when you put a dollar into a mutual fund, you actually get a, you own shares of a whole bunch of companies, a whole bunch of corporations. You get instant diversification, wide range of market activity, um, and it's very, very difficult to get that type of diversification, that type of wide range of ownership if you're just doing individual stocks. Okay, So one of the advantages of a mutual fund right there is, is, is instant diversification. Then there's two, 
two main types of funds. There's active managed funds or passive managed funds. Or in other words, you can buy a fund that just buys the index of the S&P 500 or, or the NASDAQ or whatever it may be. Or you can buy a fund that tries to track the performance of the S&P 500, but it's actively managed. So it may not own all the stocks in the S&P 500, or they may be weighted differently according to what the fund management team feels the way they, that it should be set up. So you have passive and active management in the mutual fund. So essentially you're, you're paying a fund manager to manage this money for you, and that's called the expense ratio of the fund. And there's different share classes of a mutual fund. You can buy a mutual fund that has you know, a hidden expense ratio maybe of, of 0.8, or that same exact fund could have a hidden expense ratio maybe of, of 0.4. There's, two, there's, diff, there's institutional and retail share classes. You need to be asking your advisor, what is my expense ratio? What type of share class do I have in my mutual fund lineup? Okay? And, and you want to try to make sure that you're getting the institutional pricing where it's less expensive to you. Okay. Now, a lot of times you'll be paying the advisor for, for, for you know, financial planning advice and things like that, but you still want to make sure your expenses are low. So in the world of mutual fund, there's 20, 30 different thousand mutual funds out there that we can choose from, and they all have different investment objectives. And, and one of the questions that I hear a lot, Chris, is how do I know which mutual fund is right for me? Which one should I be in? What do I want to try to accomplish? And the deal on this is, in order to figure that out, uh, understand what your investment objective is. Like if you want to invest for college, okay, 22% of Americans say they use mutual funds for college education. So suppose you want to invest in college and your child's five years old. You know you've got about 13, maybe 14 years before he or she goes to college. So now we want to find a mutual fund that's going to give you a, a risk level of growth and 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 risk reduction over that period of time. Now, maybe over that period of time, you might change it to one or two different mutual fund positions. But my point is, whatever your investment objective is, whether your investment objective is growth or income or international or you want to be in a specific sector, maybe technology or, or semiconductor or biotech or whatever it may be, there's a mutual fund out there designed to meet your investment objective, okay? 27% of Americans use mutual funds for current income, okay? So now you're, you're starting to go, well, wait a minute here. 22% of people are using it for growth, for funding college educations. 27% of people are using mutual f that use mutual funds say they're using it for current income. You know, one of the differences that a mutual fund brings to the table versus maybe an ETF is that a mutual fund sometimes may give you a little bit better dividend yield than an ETF. They might be better designed for systematic withdrawal income programs versus ETFs or stocks sometimes. So whatever your investment objective is, retirement, to reduce taxable income, emergency savings, to buy a house or a boat or a car or larger items, there's mutual funds out there that are specifically designed to meet those investment objectives. So one of the, again, one of the challenges that most people have is understanding where to park their money to meet their investment objectives. Look into the perspective, prospectus. Ask your financial advisor, what's the objective of this mutual fund? 
and and we run into this all the time. We see people in the uh, TSP with the government employees, mm -hmm. the TSP funds. Which ones should I be in? Should I be in the C, G, F, S, or I fund? Should I be in the life cycle funds, the L series? What about your 401k plan at work? Which one of the mutual funds should I be in? You know, these 401k plans now are, are, are filled with target date funds. The 2020 fund, the 2025 fund, the 2030 fund, the 2040 fund, so forth and so on, right? Which fund is best for you? Which mutual fund should I be in in my 401k employer's plan? Should I be buying company stock in the 401k plan? What should I be doing? How are you allocated inside your investment objectives? Give me a call. Ask me. 855-ROSE-123. Give us a ring here this morning at 855-767-3123. If you'd like to get on live here, ask me some questions about your retirement plans, about the differences in your mutual funds, about questions on your mutual funds that you might not understand. Be happy to answer them all for you. Give us a call at 855-ROSE-123. Listen to Making Money Sense. I'm Larry Rosenthal. We'll be back in a moment. To Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Housing prices and interest rates have started to move up. This may be your last chance to take advantage of low rates and housing bargains. If you're considering purchasing a home within the next year, you need to call Troy Turow at McLean Mortgage First to take advantage of his Loan First program. This can give you a winning bid over the competition, even when you come up against cash offers. The Loan First program will have you fully pre-approved so that you understand all aspects of your loan before you start looking for your dream home. Buy in confidence when you have your Loan First certificate, which shows the seller your loan is already pre-approved and they can avoid any unnecessary negative surprises at settlement. Troy's been helping homeowners for over 20 years in the D.C. metro area, and he and his team are ready to help you. Call him today at 571-490-7117. That's 571-490-7117 for your loan first pre-approved certificate, 571-490-7117, or simply visit his website at anyhomeloans.com. Remember, you want control when you're making an offer on a home. Get your loan first certificate. Call Troy Turow at McLean Mortgage. 571-490-7117. Troy Turow and McLean Mortgage Corporations in MLS number 5618 and 99665. You are listening to the Larry Rosenthal Show, making money since on a day before Mother's Day. And of course, I want to steal some... Uh, Shameless time here and wish my mother a happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy Mother's Day. She's uh, she's almost 80 years old now, so she's she's doing real well. And Happy birthday. Happy Mother's Day. Why am I doing birthday? Is it her birthday, Chris? No, it's her Mother's Day. But, yeah, happy Mother's Day. So, <laughs> I can't believe I kept saying that. Smack, yeah. Smack, smack. <laughs> but if you're listening and if you've got a mother or a special tradition you'd like to share with us, I mean, feel free to call in, right? 855-767-3123. When it comes to money... Facts too. I'm just wondering, with your mother, did she teach you some things about money at any time when you were growing up? Did your mom teach you some? I know my mom did. She was very good about teaching me to save, make sure that you would save a little bit here and save a little bit there, and make sure you paid the paid the Lord first. That was always 
on the front of my mom's mind as, uh, as I was growing up. How about uh, you? Not so much. No? Uh, yeah, not so much. But, um, you know, things worked out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're Figured the one doing the, doing the teaching to your kids. How are you, what are you doing for your kids when you yep. think about that, too? So I'm sure I'm sure your wife has some, some ideas about how the children should handle money, too. Mothers are good that way, I think. Yep, yep. So we've got them saving and um, – giving and, and doing some different things. You know, we talk to them about it, and, and um, it's funny the different personalities that people have with money. Some are kind of tight. Some are kind of loose. And, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a mother or a father either. It's just uh, you never know, right? Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, But, again, happy Mother's Day to everyone out there. Mother's Day weekend. Got your uh, Mother's Day gift? <laughs> Shh, I won't tell if you didn't. I can't tell you, Chris. <laughs> Okay, because <laughs> if you told me, it might get back to the mom. Huh? Right, right. No, no, we're good. Everybody's hooked up. That's, that's for sure. That's so great. lots that's of people great. coming over. So that's it's awesome. all good. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, so you know, what is your employer going to offer you in retirement when it comes to, believe it or not, life insurance? Life insurance. Some employers offer that. Some employers offer life insurance. Matter of fact, most employers offer some sort of a life insurance program in retirement. A lot of people are not aware of this. But your life insurance benefits in most cases will carry over into your retirement years, which is a good thing. Do you need it? Do you want it? Do you want to reduce it? Do you want to buy extra? All these different scenarios play out there, you know. Take take example one of the very, you know. So 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 my point is that employers of all different types offer different types of conversion packages on their group life on their group life insurance benefits when people are to retire. Okay, but uh, one of the most simplest ones and or consistent ones I would say is the uh, federal government. You know, do you need life insurance? Your Fegley options, option A, B, C. Um, when you when you retire, right? See, so we have some callers calling in. One from Phoenix. Uh, she's calling in to get the um, financial planning toolkit. Doesn't have a question, but if you want to get a copy of the toolkit, give us a call eight five five Rose one two three. We're giving those away again today. It'll help you sort of outline and build out for yourself your for your financial plan. Give you a direction, an idea of where you should be. Ask you some probing questions too. Give us a ring at eight five five Rose one two three if you'd like to get a copy of the financial planning toolkit. Question on the life insurance. I mean, yeah. how does one really know how to shop for that? I mean, what do you, is there, there's different kinds. I know there's all kinds. There's whole and there's term and, you know, there's just different ways to shop for it. And how do you know which is the best to get? Well, the best type of life insurance that you that you get is the type that, that covers the need that you're trying to seek out, okay? So, you know, if, if you have, um, a, a, a family formation scenario where you're you're young, you're in your 30s and 40s and stuff. Not that anybody who's who's over that is is old, but <laughs> you're 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 having young kids. You've got college to save yeah. for, you know, big fat mortgage payments, car payments, all that kind of stuff. There, you might want to have some term insurance where you get a lot of coverage for a little bit of money. And should something happen, then then the substantial amount of dollars could come in to so help. So the key is getting that earlier, or the younger you get that, that's better, right? Absolutely, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yes. You know, and you also want to take a look at: Do you need life insurance in your retirement years? And a lot of people think that they don't. Whereas, on the other hand, you'd be surprised: a lot of people do, or they elect to continue it because it passes on a very nice, tax-free estate 
to heirs. Okay. That's one way to build wealth in your family over the years, huh? That's exactly correct, Chris. Yep. So mm-hmm. so the question is, do you need life insurance in your retirement years or do you want life insurance in your retirement years? And 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 it boils down to to just that. You know, there's so many people out there listening right now that have these old little, you know, life insurance policies that are for 18000 or $84,000 or whatever it may be that they had all their lives and things like that. And they're thinking about cashing them in and, and taking the ten grand out or whatever. You know, you can, you can if you don't need that death benefit anymore, you can make the, the beneficiary, you know, your church or a charity mm-hmm. or something like that or grandkids or something. You know, but, but the question becomes a lot of people will use their life insurance for a I love my spouse, family, kids, I need to protect income should something happen. Yet at the same time, when they get past that point in, in life, they can continue to keep it just to pass on more tax-free dollars. Remember, the majority of us has saved, the, saved most of our money in retirement plans that have never been taxed before. So if someone dies, it goes to the spouse, it can go tax-free. But when it goes to a non-spousal beneficiary, such as heirs, you have to pay taxes on it, and the life insurance death benefits can come in in a tax-free way to really help people out. How do you how do you feel about using life insurance as an income stream when you get older? Maybe borrow against it and not mess with the with the you know the lump sum that would be available for your legacy. Is that is that a stream of income that is reliable, or are there just a lot of better ways to do it than that? Well, I think there's a lot of better ways to do it. I understand. The idea behind it all, it's very expensive with the cost and things inside the life insurance policy itself. Uh, but, you know, cash value is, is, is a good thing used in the right manner. But I don't think it's the best way to accumulate assets, especially when you're, when you look, when you're looking at the, the rules governing life insurance, which is what you're talking about here, Chris, where there's, you know, the cash value buildup inside of a life insurance policy grows tax deferred. And then you can withdraw that money tax free, providing you do it through a series of withdrawals and loans as long as the policy stays in force. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're looking at doing that, I would say that that, you know, the first money needs to go into a Roth IRA, because if you put money into a Roth IRA, it grows tax deferred and comes out tax free as well. However, you don't you don't have the expense of life insurance on top of that. Okay? So you're rolling it out of the life insurance or the cash? No, 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 no. If okay. you're looking at, at investing ah, a yeah, dollar yeah. Okay. in a tax advantage way and, and wanting to get tax free yeah. income, you can have the choice of the cash value buildup of insurance, which is what your question was, versus a Roth IRA. Gotcha. You should put the Roth IRA in first because you don't have the cost of the insurance policy and administrative fees of the insurance company sitting on top of the Roth IRA. So if I'm reading you right, then what you're saying when it comes to life insurance, the, the term is the better if you're just using it for life insurance uh, versus the, the whole or, or as in the, you wouldn't be using no, it. No, not necessarily. I'm, there's a place for term insurance and there's a place for permanent insurance, you know, as you call it, whole insurance. So, so, so there's a place for both, Chris. You know, one of the advantages of term insurance, again, is for a period of time, whether it's 20 or 30 years or whatever it may be, you're getting a lot of insurance coverage, guaranteed never to go up in price for a small amount of money relative to other insurance uh, contracts. But at the end of that period of time, the price is going to go through the roof. On the other side, the whole life, okay, the permanent insurance policy is going to remain in your in force for guess how long? Your whole life. At the same cost. 
at the same cost of the original cost of it in most cases. Now, some policies may, may lapse. You know, some policies may require more money. You have to look at how there's, there's, there's so many different types of insurance policies. No wonder why so many people are con, con, uh, you know, confused, about, confused it, yeah. about them all. Yeah, you can get guaranteed UL, guaranteed principal UL. You can get global, indexed, variable. I mean, you can get all kinds of different types of permanent insurance policies, and they all have different risks and pros and cons to them, okay? And and, and the whole life policy is the traditional whole life. It carries the least risk to the, to the insured or the owner of the policy because it has the most guarantees. Hence, it also costs the, the mm-hmm, most, too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay? So, so you know, depending on what you want, you can structure the right type of life insurance policy for your particular needs. But my point is, com- coming all the way back to, you know, how are you going to use these employer benefits that you have? You know, you take a look at the, the federal employee benefits. You know, you can you when you retire, you can choose to, to reduce your insurance, you know, 75% reduction, 50% down, 25% down. You know, you, you have all these different choices. You can buy up. You can do different things with it all. So same with a regular employer, too, a, you know, non-government. You have these benefits that are there. You need to make a – need to take a, a good look at them uh, with, with it all. And, then, and do you need the insurance or not? But the point, Chris, to the answer to your question, again, there's so many different types of insurance policies out there, and so many people are confused well, about them. Well, these the employer-provided insurance uh, contracts, if you will – they're only there for the life of your employment, pretty much. Then when you leave, you lose the insurance, right? But is it? No, not necessarily. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to teach here this okay. morning is that you have conversion privileges into oh. the into your retirement life, where you can carry some of these employer benefits through oh, yeah, life okay. insurance. Okay. Yeah. Now you're going to pay for it, but at the same time, you have the ability to to transfer them out of the group plan, I guess you would call it. Okay. Because most of the time, you're not paying for those. So you're paying a very small amount of money for that insurance while you're employed. Correct. You're usually paying a very small amount while you're there, and and uh, but you do have these conversion privileges or these transportate, you know, transportable provisions, is, yeah. if you want to call it like that. I don't that. think a lot of people know about that. No, they don't. They really don't. And sometimes it's it's better to do that. Hmm. So, you know, again, what are your employer benefits? You know, employers have lots of benefits out there, believe it or not, and a lot of people leave some of the benefits on the table without realizing what types of benefit packages are available to them. So that's all. You know, just just uh, take a good look at, at what your choices are when you're sitting down going through a financial plan. You know, your advisor should be asking these types of, you know, out-of-the-box thinking type questions when he or she's consulting with you about your whole benefits, your entire, you know, lineup of, of investment choices, insurance needs, and things like that there. You so. might even have some benefits that you're not using. I've, I've known that I, in the past when I've been employed at different companies, sometimes if you don't really do the research and really look at all the benefits, you may be missing out on those as well that are already there while you're employed. Sure. That's exactly right. So, hey, let's take a quick break here and open up the phone lines again. Give us a call at 855-ROSE-123 with any of your financial planning or investment questions. If you have investment, if you have questions on the economy, the markets, taxes, mortgages, real estate, whatever it is, give us a call, 855-ROSE-123. You're listening to Making Money Sense, and I'm Larry Rosenthal. We'll be back in a moment. You are 
listening to Making Money Sense Live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Remember those kids that you keep your kids away from? Those kids that society doesn't seem to know what to do with? That kid you saw on the street corner last week? Remember that kid that, well, you feel sorry for? The dropout, the pregnant teen, the drug addict. Those are the kids that Youth for Tomorrow wants to reach. And Youth for Tomorrow has reached nearly 800 children since opening its doors in 1986. That's 800 young men and women helped to become responsible and effective members of society. The founder and chairman of Youth for Tomorrow, former Washington Redskins coach and current NASCAR team owner Joe Gibbs, says if we don't do what we can to influence our young people, there are plenty of others who will in the wrong direction. For more information about Youth for Tomorrow, call 703-368-7995 or go to youthfortomorrow.org. You can help turn a negative into a positive. Call 703-368-7995 or go to youthfortomorrow.org. show making money sense if you'd like to dial in here's our phone number 855-767-3123 that's 855-ROSE-123 to talk to our financial retirement expert Larry Rosenthal here in studio today Larry sure let's welcome Joanne on the line from New York City as we go coast to coast and border to border (laughs) good morning Joanne good morning how are you I'm well how are you I'm well thank you for asking so the purpose of the call is to determine what would be the best direction to go. I have seven years before I can retire. I owe 300000 on my property. It's currently valued at seven eighty. dollars um, I'm in, uh, I will have $150,000 to do whatever I want to do with. Should I take that seven fifty? dollars that's one fifty, and put it towards the $300,000 uh, that's left on the mortgage, or should I take that one fifty and look at an annuity or a Roth or traditional IRA, and I owe fifteen thousand in uh, one credit card debt. Nothing else, no other debt. Joanne, when you retire in those number of years, are you going to have a pension? Have you looked at what your Social Security benefits going to be and what yeah, your I have living expenses? I would have a pension, the Social Security, and the annuity if I choose to do an annuity because I have a TSP. So are you going to be able to – now, is the 150 saved up in the TSP? That's separate and apart. I have, more, I have more than that in the TSP. The 150 is something else that's forthcoming. Okay, so the answer to your question is we need to line up all of your assets, your TSP, the money outside the TSP, compare them with all of your liabilities, the credit card, the mortgage, and, and ask the question first – well, first of all, I'd love for you to pay down the credit card debt. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. So let's assume, let's assume we use some of that 150 to do that. Then the next question is, is your retirement income, Social Security pension, without annuitizing the TSP, 
So your Social Security and your pension, is that going to be large enough to cover your living expenses if you don't pay off the mortgage? That's no. one question. Okay, no. so if the answer is no, then the next question here is going to be, are you going to stay in this same home throughout your retirement years? I would like to. Okay, then we need to look at if the pension and Social Security do not pay down the mortgage then the next, and you want to stay there, then again, the follow-up question to this, and we just sort of go through these question things is, then the next one here, Joanne, is, is simply this, is do we have enough money? Let's suppose the, the living expenses in retirement, including the mortgage, let's just make up a number and say it's four grand a month. It's so six. I, okay, it's six grand a month. So, so now let's say your, your pensions and Social Security come in at the rate of, let's say, four grand a month, just so I can do an illustration yes. easy here on the radio. Okay. So now we're $2,000 a month shy. Yes. The other savings and investments that you have, the TSP, this other 150, and then the other sources of money, at a reasonable rate of return, will we be able to produce $2,000 a month of income from those investments in order to meet your standard of living? If the answer is yes, then we have to decide, okay, flip it over and say, well, if we pay off the mortgage by the time we get to retirement, are we going to be in a position where we're house rich and cash poor? In other words, a lot of people will have their home paid for, but they can't afford to go out Friday night and get a pepperoni pizza because they have no cash. Do you see what I mean? So as long as you're not in that situation, I'm all for it. But that's sort of the way we have to step through the math and the planning of these types of Q&A questions with your assets and liabilities. Do do you see what I mean? I do. I understand. The other question is, should I be looking, should I not continue to invest in my TSP and focus the monies that would go in that direction, put it towards the 15,000 that's outstanding? How many years until you retire? Seven. Um, I would say no. I want you to continue to invest in the TSP, but this money that's outside the TSP would be a good source to retire the credit card debt. Understood. Thank okay. you so very much. But, yeah, I definitely want you to continue investing into the TSP. If you like, I'll be happy to send you out our, our, our toolkit, and we can have someone give you a follow-up call now that to sort of get, get a little bit more details with you on things. Okay? I Absolutely. Let me put you on hold. Appreciate the phone call. And if you're a mom, happy Mother's Day, okay? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Let me place you on hold, Joanne. Appreciate the phone call. You're listening to Making Money Sense, Larry Rosenthal Show. Give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123, 855-767-3123. As we roll out coast-to-coast and border-to-border this weekend, (laughs) Chris, calls from New York, Arizona, Love it. Give us a call. Anybody listening in Kentucky, give us a call. Iowa, give us a ring. Love it. Absolutely. So, hey, you know, so we were talking about, you know, lots of different things here today. We've got got about 10 minutes left in the show. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about today was how do you interview a financial advisor? What are the questions you ask? And, boy, I can come up with dozens and dozens of questions that you should ask. So I thought, you know, I'll bring into the studio today just a handful of of some of the questions that make a lesser financial advisor a little uncomfortable. Are you a Redskins fan or a Ravens fan? <laughs> there you go. You know, so so one of the things that, that people need to ask financial advisors is about fee transparency. Not only what does the advisor charge or make, okay, or, or I should say charge, not make, but 
what does the advisor charge? But also, what are the all-in costs? What's the expense ratio on the ETF? What are the trading costs to buy and sell stock or bonds or mutual funds or ETFs or UITs or whatever it may be? What are the, the overall fees in the entire package? Fee transparency is, is extremely important when you're interviewing a, 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 you know, a prospective financial advisor. And, and you know, are there any other costs associated with that? You know, some financial advisors charge an annual fee just for updates, and some don't. So you have to really get into the whole scenario. Will a financial advisor charge you a fee on assets that he or she's not managing, but you have them somewhere else in your 401K or at another brokerage house, right? How does the financial advisor really work when it comes down to all that? It's called fee transparency. So you want to talk about fee transparency when it comes to, you know, engaging with your financial advisor. It's really important. Another one is uh, regulatory controls. Ask the financial advisor, are you working under a fiduciary relationship with me or a suitability relationship? There's a big difference between the two. And in most cases, you want to work under a fiduciary relation, relationship. You know, that gives you some safeguards, you know. Um, uh, you know and and, and I, another question I would say is ask the financial advisor about the technology and the security of their computer systems. You know, it's, it's important. Uh, you know, when, what, is, what is the disaster relief program? Or replace program, yeah, especially you know, as of late, you've seen all these attacks in the news. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so these are just some questions that you that you really want to ask. What are the roles of your staff? You know, um, how, how how what's your experience? You know, do you have what designations do you have? Are you a CFP? Are you a CHFC? You know, uh, what what are the designations that you have? Um, these are these are important questions that people overlook a lot of times when they're asking. You know, ask the financial advisor. Well, what's the difference between the CFA and the CHFC and the CPA and the CFP and the <laughs> XYZ and the EIEIO? Right? Okay. Exactly. What is the difference between all of these things? Okay. Ask the financial advisor. Ask them which one did you like the best when you were getting these designations. Well, there's licenses okay. too, right? That you have to well, have. yeah. There's securities licenses. That's that that goes without saying pretty much that you're expecting them to be fully licensed in everything that they can do. Um, you know what? Are, you know, series seven, series twenty four, series fifty one, sixty six, sixty three, sixty five. All different hut, licenses hut, that you hut. bring up. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, what about communications what's the communication expectation when you're interviewing a prospective financial advisory firm or financial advisor ask them how often will you reach out to me and communicate with me how often can I call you are there costs when I call you when I send you an email are you gonna bill me you know like what a lawyer is the, does, yeah. exactly what is the story with all of this okay how often can you uh, uh, communicate how many meetings a year are we going to have what are going to be the, the structure of these meetings? Are you going to reach out to me and let me know what stuff I have to prepare in order for a meeting to be successful? You know, you're, you're asking a lot of good questions, and I think they're great questions, but a lot of us probably wouldn't know what that really means. 
if we ask a question of a financial planner, why would we ask that particular question and what benefit would we have? For example, if you're a serious license, what does that mean to me and why does it benefit me versus someone who's not, you know? Well, somebody who might have a Series 6 can only deliver what they call package products, mutual funds, variable annuities. But somebody who has a Series 7 not only can deliver those, but they can do stocks and individual bonds and, and different things. So, You should write something like that up for folks so they would know those questions and then reason why. You know, that would be great. I mean, yeah, be that's wonderful. a great idea, Chris. So maybe we'll do that. But, you yeah. know, these, these are just some off-the-cuff questions. I thought, you know what, maybe we should just teach people to do this because I know people are always looking around and, and doing that kind of stuff and these are some of the more salient questions these are questions I'd be asking if I was going in to interview a financial advisor you know another one is what about access to information mm -hmm. okay can you explain to me what the top holdings are inside my ETF or mutual fund or why you bought this stock or didn't buy that stock <laughs> Wow you know, what is your buy and sell strategy? How are you determining this? Are you doing the, the investment recommendations or are you offloading it to another third party where I have to pay another fee? Mm -hmm. Okay. These are lots of different questions that people should be asking and interviewing their, their current or prospective financial advisor. It would be great to have some sort of a comparison between, like, these big brokerage houses and, and other individuals and how they handle a lot of these different questions. Everybody handles them differently. Yeah. Completely differently. You know, at the end of the day, you've, you've got to have access to the information. You've got to have access to looking at your financial plan. Does your financial plan get updated once a year, every day? Ours gets updated every day. You know, and you can look at it, too, the way you exactly. do it. Exactly. It's awesome. Does your financial advisor give you the ability to have an app on your phone to pull up your financial plan and your investments? Most don't, I would right. say. Right, we do. That's cool. Okay. So, so you know, what is the, the ability for you to, to, to see where you are at any one point in time? Can you get it through the Internet? Can you get it as an app on your phone? Can I call the office? Can I come in and, and, and just, you know, get some lessons on things? You know, another thing, too, is, is does your financial advisor give you um, uh, educational classes? You know, on on money management, do they do they offer you, uh, you know, sort of classroom settings to learn about the economy, learn about tax efficiencies, learn about estate planning, learn about all these different subject matters? You know, periodic do, seminars are nice too. That I correct. Know do. That's what yeah. we do. We do a lot of of. Uh, uh, I had a wonderful. Speaking of that, Chris, I had a I had a wonderful meeting this this past week with a client of mine. She wants to learn more about the economy. So she came in, you know, it wasn't like a review that, that we normally do with her. She came in and I sat her down. I put her through Econ 101. It was fun. <laughs> Explained to her how the economy works, the role of fiscal policy in government, the role of monetary policy with the Federal Reserve. Okay, we talked about Treasury. We talked about bonds. We talked about how to read the tea leaves in the economy, Bureau of Labor Statistics, where all these numbers come out of and what they mean. What are the bigger uh, weightings reports that come out each each week in the in each month or whatever or every day I should say in in the economy? You know, housing starts, ISM manufacturing, you know, consumer spending, all this type of stuff showing her how to read all this and what it really means. Got to get you your professor cap. That's what we Yeah, got. it was a lot of fun. Let me tell you, it, it was a lot of fun. So, so, you know, ask your advisor, do you have access to this type of stuff? 
Can your advisor sit down and explain to you at any moment why you have certain things in your investments? What are they happy about? What are the things that are on their watch list even? You know, so lots of different uh, pieces of information out there. So for sure. Hey, well, I'd like to take a moment here again and wish everybody happy Mother's Day out there. Love you, Ma. And I'll be seeing you very, very soon. Uh, Grandma, Grandma Carol, Grandma Chrissy, all of them out there. Happy Mother's Day and happy Mother's Day to my wife. Love you very much as well. And uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing you after we get out of here in the studio. So for Bob in the back and Chris McKay, I'm Larry Rosenthal. Have a wonderful Mother's Day weekend. And we'll be back next Saturday with another session of the Larry Rosenthal Show, Making Money Sense.